Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Well, he's very smart, very athletic. He's long. He's, uh, he's a talented player. And uh, that's why we took him. We had him ranked high on our board. And... Um, we're glad he fell to us. We're glad he was there for us. Smart guy, very athletic, and uh, he has a lot of experience. So uh, we're, we're counting on him being our starting right tackle. That's John Gruden, head coach of the Raiders. And he was talking about young Mr. Alex Leatherwood, the Raiders' first round pick, pick number 17 overall. Offensive tackle from Alabama. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. It is a Wednesday. Uh, this is my last day before I go on vacation. Q Myers, uh, our great teammate here at Raider Nation Radio, is going to have you covered uh, tomorrow through next Friday. I'll be back uh, in time to host the Monday show on the eve of training camp, and uh, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to say that, on Monday, the uh, July 25th. So uh, I will be taking uh, some uh, a little bit of time to, to unplug the batteries and kind of plug them back in a little bit because the madness is about to, be, to, to happen uh, and unfold and start, and I can't wait, uh, to be perfectly honest uh, with you. I uh, want your calls. Uh, today, 702-365-9200. Talk about whatever you want. Uh, you want to talk about revisit relocation and uh, some of the uh, drama that unfolded a few years ago and still is uh, in some cases. There's a big lawsuit going on in St. Louis. I don't think it really has much merit, to be honest with you. Um, talking about being misled, I think uh, there's a little bit of save face going on right now in St. Louis. I think everyone understood what was going on. I think everybody understood what that stipulation was in that lease, what it meant, what it could lead to. And it, it unfolded pretty much exactly how people, uh, if you're in St. Louis, feared it would. If you're other places, probably thought it would. The Rams ended up back in Los Angeles. Um, St. Louis hate to say it, but they only had themselves to blame. They agreed to do something. They didn't honor uh, that agreement, and it triggered the Ra the Rams to become complete free agents, able to look wherever they wanted uh, for a new home. Uh, it turned out to be Los Angeles. Big surprise. Now, St. Louis, which was not misled by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, maybe the fans were, because certain people in the media and certain leaders in St. Louis were feeding, a bunch of, feeding them a bunch of BS which was never really the case and, and, and never really accurate. And as much as I tried to report what I believed to be accurate, and it turns out to have been exactly how I was reporting it, pissed off a lot of people in St. Louis. Uh, they, they came after me on, on Twitter. It's fine. Uh, Sam uh, Farmer from uh, Los Angeles Times dealt with the same thing, but at least I was giving St. Louis an honest account of what was going on. They just didn't want to hear it, but we could talk about that uh, if you'd like, but I thought it was important today uh, to hear from John Gruden. That was from minicamp, and John was talking about young Alex Leatherwood, and um, if you go back to draft night, 
in in April, which seems like many moons ago. Uh, it's incredible that we've gotten to this point as rapidly as we have, just 13 days from training camp. But if you remember on train on on um, on draft night, it was obvious the Raiders needed a tackle and they needed a free safety. And I think they're. You know, everybody has their draft boards. Uh, nobody's privy to teams' draft boards. So it's just a lot of guesswork in terms of how that plays out. And I know because I, I talk to general managers in the league, um, and, you know, at the risk of getting laughed at sometimes, you know, I'll send them my thoughts, uh, you know, and just to kind of get an idea of, hey, am I, am I on the right track here? Um, you know, uh, when I get laughed out of the draft room uh, in this case, you know, I'll send them some notes from, um, you know, the senior bowl or, or from um, the scouting combine when the scouting combine has gone on. And really, honestly, I'm just doing it to help myself. Uh, what is it that teams are looking for? What is it that professional scouts are looking for? What is it that general managers are looking at looking for? And I, I, I always feel you you can learn right up until the last breath that you take. And that's one of the exciting and great things about life is continually learning and being open to learning and not thinking that you have all the answers and, um, you know, listening, just asking questions and listening. And uh, the great thing covering professional sports is there's a lot of people out there that are involved in sports at a very elite high level that are all too happy uh, to help you out. You know, if you come at them earnestly and saying, I'm not trying to break any story here or, or, or you know, get the get the big secret out. I'm honestly just trying to, to, to learn. And, and I have found in plenty of subjects that I've covered that they're cool with that. They understand it because and I tell them it makes me a better reporter. And look, I'm reporting about your team. Your fans are reading this story. Um, the, the, the good ones in, in sports understand that importance. They understand the link that we play and the role that reporters play, you know, uh, writing stories about, about their team. And so you want to be as good as it as you possibly can. So anyway, uh, um, you know, that, that's kind of what I do. And, um, what, especially when it comes to the draft. So, but the point is, is that you don't know, and I would never ask who's the top tackle on your board or what's the, you know, who's, who are you looking at, at, at cornerback? I'll try to get like a sense of it, but I would never ask that kind of a direct question. And you're never going to get that kind of a direct answer. And I totally respect that. There's 31 other teams that teams are competing against. And you don't want as a team uh, to get your plans out there because that might tip your hand. And, you know, that doesn't, it's not a, a big secret why that doesn't happen. But my point is, one of my points is, you also can't assume. You also can't assume uh, necessarily. You just can't assume like what that team might be thinking, whatever that team might be. And you also can't, you know, just because you, there's a pundit out there, you know, one of the national pundits from ESPN or NFL Network or whatever the case might be, and they do their due diligence and their homework uh, in, in the draft, but they're looking at it from almost. 32 different teams' perspective. They're looking at it from an overall perspective. They're not necessarily looking at it. They can't look at it from a specific team's standpoint. They can kind of, you know, but they can't get into, they, they, they don't know, 
you know the, the the coaches room and the scouts and what what uh, the offensive line coaches asking the scouts to go look for and 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 vice versa and what the scheme is uh, they don't get that intricate okay so you almost have to take um, uh, certain things f- with a grain of salt including criticism of a draft pick and I circle it back to Alex Leatherwood because the Raiders surprisingly even to me. You know, to me, I'll I'll be honest with it with you, but I'm going to be also honest. Like I don't I I I don't know everything about every prospect that's coming out. I do my own homework, but you know, I I don't have 24 hours a day to be able to dive into it like teams do. Um, so anyway, the 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 Raiders select Alex Leatherwood. Uh, there was a whole bunch of hooting and hollering. Uh, they reached for Alex Leatherwood. Uh, what were they thinking? Um, you know, uh, and then that's from the pundits. And a lot of times fans are listening to what those pundits are saying and kind of taking it uh, for, for gospel. And it kind of frames their reaction. So the reaction in Raider Nation wasn't too positive about young Mr. Leatherwood. And that's understandable. That's who they're getting their information from. And they're kind of feeding off of that initially. Um, and Alex Leatherwood, for whatever reason, on some you know uh, mock draft boards, wasn't expected to get drafted that high, and that's fine. And and you know uh, it's we understand that. But what was interesting about it, and what I was trying to always say during the process, is just because he wasn't on Mel Kuyper's you know uh, top of the list at ta- at tackle, especially at that point in the draft after certain other players had gotten had gotten drafted. Um, doesn't mean that he wasn't on the Raiders or the Broncos or whoever else, name any other team. Um, and, and, and when teams come up with their draft boards and their particular preferences, they're looking at it from their own perspective through their lens. And when I say that teams drive, dig down, drill down to the middle of the earth to look at these prospects through their lens and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, it's not an exaggeration. They spend months upon months upon months digging to the middle of the earth on these guys, trying to figure out who best fits their program, what they're trying to do. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think it takes a couple of years to truly get that figured out. Um, and I think at that point, you know, uh, criticism or praise is obviously valid. I get the knee-jerk reactions. It's what we do, and that's fine as, as well. Um, but it needs to be qualified, and it needs to be put into perspective. And what's so interesting about Alex Leatherwood, and I, I tweeted this out, but I had lunch with um, Lincoln Kennedy, our great uh, partner here uh, with uh, in the huddle and uh, just to let you know Lincoln will be back at some point um, uh, to, to be back on, on the show took some well-deserved time off uh, to spend uh, really with his family and uh, do uh, the dad thing I totally get it and I totally understand it and I'm glad he was able to uh, take that time off but long story short we're having lunch over at his restaurant that he owns here uh, in Henderson uh, it's called the Angry Crab, and it was fantastic. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's over there on Sunset. If you took Green Valley all the way to Sunset, took a ride on Sunset, you'll run right into it. So, and if you're coming from the Las Vegas Strip, which I believe Sunset runs into the Las Vegas Strip, um, you know, just take Sunset all the way up, and uh, once you cross Green Valley, look to your left. Uh, that's where the uh, Angry Crab is. Got a bunch of TVs. 
It's got a great feel to it. The food was tremendous. Um, so, you know, uh, you're, you're bound to run into Lincoln. They, they built a Raider room. Uh, it's kind of a private little party area uh, that's all Raidered out, which is really, really cool. Uh, they've got an outdoor uh, area, so that's that's really cool as well. Uh, kind of hot right now, so the outside area isn't really, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not t- that time of year. But at some point it will, and that'll be a cool little area to hang out, eat drink, have fun, listen to music, all that, watching the sports. But so we're talking about things and uh, and and the subject turns to young Alex Leatherwood. And to say that Lincoln has a um, unique perspective on all this would probably be an understatement. If you think about uh, Lincoln Kennedy, what position did he play? He was a right tackle. He was one of the great right tackles in Raider franchise history. Um, That's why he's stuck around as long as he had, Uh, you know, once a Raider, always a Raider is, is, is absolutely 1000% accurate. Uh, But, but there are certain players that just stick with the family a little bit closer and stay with the family a little bit closer. Uh, Lincoln is one of those type players. Uh, He was in town yesterday uh, to be part of a a great event over at Allegiant stadium uh, last night uh, where there was some money given to some deserving people. Um, I was able to look at uh, uh, some of what was going on on social media. It looked really great. Great event. Great cause. Lincoln was front and center. Um, and uh, so that's why he was in town. And, you know, he had hit me up. Hey, let's have lunch, um, which is what we did. And so, but getting back to Lincoln's connection to Alex Leatherwood, that's the position that he played, uh, right tackle. And I think we all know Lincoln well enough now, hearing him on the radio, me getting to know him over these last couple of years or so. Um, he's not going to sugarcoat much of anything. Um, he's been there, done that. He has his own uh, opinion. And whether it's good or bad toward the Raiders, he's, he's going to share it. Um, and he's going to be honest about it. And that's what I think is very, very refreshing uh, about him. So if there's something that he doesn't like, he's going to talk about it. If there's something that he likes, he's going to talk about that well. I'm going to just say right now to say that he was kind of down on the right tackle situation (laughs) the last couple of years, that would be an understatement as well. And more than anything, it's because the Raiders just weren't getting much availability out of Trent Brown. He got paid a lot of money, um, but he was hurt quite often. And he only played 16 of 32 games in the two years uh, that he was, that he was here. So that's half of the amount, you know, he played half of the games that he was eligible to play. Injuries played a big role in that. You can draw your own conclusions on whether, you know, uh, Trent milked anything or, you know, wasn't as diligent as he needed to be in order to get on the field. Um, All of that is speculation. Uh, People have their feelings. Let's just leave it at that. Suffice to say, Lincoln Kennedy, and I'm sure if he was sitting right here next to me, would would say it. He was down on on Trent Brown, and rightfully so. And so he and and more than anything, not just because in in the general sense, uh, for for Lincoln being part of the the Raider family uh, and seeing a player that's not performing, that's going to drive him nuts to begin with. But on top of that, it's his position, it's his lineage, it's his part of his heritage, it's part of that position is part of who Lincoln Kennedy is and every heir apparent since then, he's going to keep a, an eye on period exclamation point as he should. That's his position. That's his baby. And he, and he, he would love, love 
it to be that whoever comes behind him, whoever plays that position, outplays himself, outplays Lincoln. I think that Lincoln Kennedy would be the happiest Raider on the face of the earth if every year that position was manned by somebody that was even better than he was, uh, because that means the Raiders have good players at that position, and that's all that Lincoln Kennedy ever really wants, right? So, but he was down on that spot these last couple of years. He was pretty pretty vocal about it and told me uh, about it. He did question whether Link, whether um, Trent Brown cared enough about football to do everything he needed to do to put himself in the best possible position to be available. So I'm just contrasting what he said about Trent and how down he was on Trent just to let you know that he doesn't sugarcoat it and he's not going to just go, yeah, he's great. This is great. It's going great, you know, uh, because he would never do that, which takes us back to Alex Leatherwood and the contrast of to this point, And obviously there's a whole season now uh, for, for Alex Leatherwood to either solidify uh, what, what, what Lincoln is thinking, seeing, feeling um, or not. We'll see. But I have a feeling that Alex Leatherwood is going to be somebody that Raider fans uh, like, (laughs) probably sooner rather than later, for a lot of different reasons. Um, And it's so funny, because Lincoln Kennedy, in talking to Lincoln about Alex Leatherwood, and he was lauding uh, Alex Leatherwood, he really likes everything that Alex brings to the table, the athleticism, the intelligence, the power. He's got a great personality. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, he just checks off a whole bunch of boxes. But what's so interesting about the whole Raiders-Alex Leatherwood situation, especially when you hear pundits criticizing that pick, and not just criticizing it, I always think that that's fair, but kind of what are the Raiders thinking? Like they just woke up that Thursday morning and decided, yeah, we're going to surprise everybody, shock everybody by picking Alex Leatherwood. Um Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, talking to Lincoln Kennedy, surprisingly so, the connection between the Raiders and Alex Leatherwood goes back further than you might think. Uh, you know, and, it, and, and when I say that, I mean he was on their radar for a while now. Like they had their eye on Alex Leatherwood for a while now. Um, and and to kind of explain, think about how that all works. Yes. When you're scouting players, um, the upper class and then the draft eligible players, the juniors, uh, the seniors are always going to get the abundance of focus. You know, when you're when you're talking about the draft process and evaluating players from a team's perspective, but you know when you're doing your draft prospects when you're doing your draft uh, evaluation and when you're watching games you're bound to you're, you're going to see other players that aren't yet eligible and they're going to jump on your radar and sometimes way earlier than than you might think when I worked for the Lakers Jerry West was notorious for picking out young players freshmen um, you know, uh, sophomores that he's like, man, if I had a first round, if, if we were picking number one right now, that's who I would pick. He said that about Tim Duncan after his freshman year at Wake Forest. And there were a lot of good players um, at, at that point. Um, he was in love with, with, uh, with, with uh, Tim Duncan. Now, in retrospect, you're like, well, duh, he was Tim Duncan. But we're talking about when he was 17, 18 years old. And I remember talking to Jerry West when LeBron James was, I think, a sophomore in high school. 
And he'd say, I'd, 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 I'd literally pick him first right now. He knew what he was going to become. So, you know, just to kind of put a little perspective in, you know, uh, when certain players jump on your radar or a team's radar uh, and either stay there or fall off or whatever. So um, the point with Alex Leatherwood and the Raiders and how this wasn't just some flyby type situation where they just haphazardly uh, decided to draft Alex Leatherwood. Not You'd almost have to be an idiot to think that anyway. Uh, but if you're even thinking that it was like some short-term, oh, we're just going to go roll the dice on Alex Leatherwood. Um, Alex Leatherwood was on the radars, R- Raiders' radar for a while now. And going back to, I think it was his freshman year, uh, Lincoln was telling me that you know he's good friends with Tom Cable, the Raiders' offensive line coach. And um, <clears throat> Alex had caught uh, Tom Cable's eye because obviously when you're – if, you, if you're a coach, if you're a scout, and you're going to be watching Alabama, um, and you're going to be watching them intently, they turn out the best players in the country. Uh, but there's going to be young players that catch your eye. And when Tom was looking at the offensive line for the rate for at Alabama, probably looking at some of the older players that were there, Alex Leatherwood, and I, I want to say it was his freshman year, according to Lincoln, caught Tom Cable's eye. And Tom Cable said to Lincoln, who, they're good friends. They talk. They they talk the same language. Offensive line. They they live and die for it. And Tom Cable said, "Hey man, go watch this kid Alex Leatherwood at Alabama. Uh, tell me what you think. You know." And so that was four years ago, or three years ago, maybe four years ago. Now that's how long Alex Leatherwood has been on the Raiders' radar. And at that time, I think he was playing guard out of necessity. First of all, a freshman, true freshman, starting at Alabama. That just speaks for itself, especially at an important position like offensive line. He eventually moved to left tackle um, and, and pl- ended up winning the Outland Trophy, the captain of the t- uh, one of the captains, the anchor of that great offensive line, which was regarded as the best offensive line. In fact, it won an award as the best offensive line in the country. That was three years later in his junior year, or senior year, I should say. Um, but... That's how long back, that's how far back Alex Leatherwood and the Raiders go. Um, and so he got better as the years went on. And in talking to, to, to Lincoln, there's a whole bunch of, uh, he's just really impressed with Alex Leatherwood, not just following his college career, um, but going into the draft to the point where the Raiders were actually a little surprised. And John Gruden talked about it, that he fell to them. Uh, there was some thinking that he was going to go even a little bit earlier, which would have, I'm sure, shocked a bunch of people as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. When we get back, going to continue uh, this talk about Alex Leatherwood and why Raider fans should feel really, really good about him. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't interrupt Prince. 
Captain Cook, to interrupt Prince, uh, Demond. So uh, when you play Prince, I'm going to let that run. I'm just letting you know. Uh, welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Um, we are, it's hard, I'm trying to say focused, you guys, but I'm getting ready to jump on a plane. Um, it's a, it's a red-eye flight to New York, and, and this time tomorrow, no, no, not this time tomorrow, but but in, in, in just a few hours, and like less than 24 hours are going to be in Italy, so uh, I'm trying to stay focused here. You know how you get like senioritis right before you go on vacation? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that, uh, but um, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm going to get these la- this last hour and a half uh, in. I'm so excited about not just obviously taking a little bit of time off, but when I get back, full bore. Uh, into training camp. Uh, the Raiders start training camp on July 27th. I'll be back on the 24th. Um, hit the ground running. Cannot wait. Um, it couldn't get here uh, soon enough, um, and, and and yet it's here now. So um, we're really, really happy. Can't wait to uh, to get started. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line and welcome in a good friend of mine. Uh, Carolyn uh, Man-O um, is nice enough to join us, and she does work all over the place, uh, CNN, uh, a bunch of other different places. And uh, she was kind enough to join us uh, in the huddle to talk not just Raiders and NFL, but also the Olympics, which, oh, by the way, is right around the corner. Uh, I can't believe that as well. But I want to get her thoughts uh, on the Olympics because it just seems like, are we going to get this in? Is it going to happen? Um, and and uh, is it going to is it going to go off as schedule? And are fans going to be part of? It? I keep hearing that they're not going to be a, a part of it. Uh, what's it all going to look at uh, look like? Carolyn, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. How are you doing? Absolutely, Vinny. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you. Um, I know we've had a bunch of discussions about the Raiders over the last couple of weeks heading into training camp and the new season. So I'm thrilled to to be with you and talk a little bit about that. But my focus, as you said, has kind of been squarely on the execution of the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And there was just a ton of speculation about whether it would or wouldn't happen uh, because of what's going on with the vaccination rates in Japan. And there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, shall we say, when it comes to decisions that are made from Tomas Bach, the president of the International Olympic Committee, to the Japanese government. Um, Everybody's kind of gotten involved, and rightly so, because it's been a very tricky thing. But my answer is yes, that they're going to get this in. It's just going to be... Uh, a little bit sad, I would say, a little subdued, uh, because there won't be any fans. They're severely limiting the number of spectators. They're they're keeping Japan um, and the four prefectures, they're called, in a quad state of emergency, meaning that, you know, some of the, the fanfare that we've been able to enjoy with the All-Star Game and Euros and sports as we know them, that has gotten us all so excited, is really probably not going to be the case this time around for for the Olympics in Tokyo, but you know, the silver lining of it all Vinny, is for a lot of these athletes, these Olympic athletes, the Olympic game just matters so much and the opportunity to compete in their respective sports, some of which don't get a lot of play except for every four. And in this case, five years uh, means everything to them. And so just to see those athletes get a chance to compete is going to be uh, pretty exciting, even though it'll be a little bit of a time travel back to, uh, COVID sports, I call it, where, you know, we, we don't really have the crowds that, that we've had the last couple months. Uh, 
We're talking to uh, Carolyn Mano. Uh, you can follow her at Carolyn Mano, and that's M A N N O. Um, and you can catch her work on CNN Sports, NBC, uh, NBC Sports with with their Olympic coverage, uh, NESN uh, in New England. Um, she has her fingers on a lot of different uh, sports angles, uh, and and as we've talked about. It's basically the Olympics right now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's as, as Carolyn talked about, and I feel the same exact way, it is, it's sad to think that um, for all these athletes to work so hard, and for some, many of them, uh, the Olympics is a one and done. You know, uh, you don't get another chance in four years. For many others, there are that there is that chance, but not everyone uh, gets to experience it uh, multiple times. Uh, so my heart goes out to 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 them for for having to go through an Olympics that won't look like what it normally looks like. And and the Olympics are one of my favorite events um, ever. And to to see it kind of done in a half way and i know that everyone's trying to do the best that they can um i think is it, it's just sad for for the athletes uh but but carolyn the the care that japan has taken um i guess it could be looked at a couple of different ways it, um are they are they not doing enough or are they doing too much are they making you understand what i'm saying like like is there any danger involved here or is it kind of being overblown do you get a sense uh of of any of that part of it um as we as we head toward uh, tokyo and the olympics yeah well i definitely think that there's a lot of people working really hard and have been working really hard to try to put a rigid system in place when it comes to testing and isolating and keeping teams as isolated as possible um, to try to avoid, you know, some kind of mass outbreak, the, the, the vaccination rates that, you know, that's, that's a real story that deserves real consideration. You know, the, the rates of vaccination are much lower in Japan. And, you know, I can, I can really sympathize with people over there in Tokyo who are nervous about, um, you know, the influx of people and athletes coming into the country when so many people haven't had an opportunity to be vaccinated. I will say, you know, the IOC and the Japanese government has tried to trim this thing back as much as they possibly can. You're not seeing huge teams associated with individual athletes. Um, Tennis, for example, Novak Djokovic right now said he's very much on the fence about participating in the Olympic Games because he's not allowed to bring his stringer in and members of his team and so, you know, you are seeing certain countries' federations trying to limit the number of people coming in with athletes that require just a ton um, of extra care and assistance as much as possible. And you're seeing family members stay behind. You're not going to have massive crowds. Um, Japan has really tried to also urge spectators away from things like the marathon, you know, outdoor events where normally you'd have huge hordes of people. So, you know, it's it's just tough. It's one of these balancing acts. And I think about the NFL, too, and the way that they approached the situation uh, a year ago. You know, here stateside, it really feels like we're, we're out of this thing. You know, the Delta variant is certainly serious, and a lot of people haven't made the decision to get vaccinated in certain parts of the country. But for the most part, when it comes to the sports fan, the sports consumer, it feels like we've reached the other side of this thing. And so to think about the, the possibility of going back to – a situation where it is going to be something of a sterile environment is tough for people, for fans. Because I think, you know, buried in our subconscious with how difficult this past year plus has been for so many people, I think there's certainly an element that people don't want to go back to that, if that makes sense. You know, we're, we're excited about watching sports that have full crowds, but 
Japan's trying to do everything that they can to satisfy the athletes that have so much invested in this and the different countries and networks that have so much invested in this. And, you know, whether or not you, you love the Olympics or you feel like they're antiquated, whatever it is, you know, they, there is something to be said for the tradition associated with this. And even though I'm, I'm not sure what the definition of an amateur athlete is anymore anyway, right. um, right. but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a uniquely global event where you've got athletes from all different countries from around the world who have a shot at this thing. And that in and of itself is special and, and something to get excited about for a sports fan, even if it is going to feel, you know, way, way more, subdued this time around without question we're talking to carolyn mano we're talking uh about uh the olympics uh and many other things i want to get to some patriots questions uh in just a little bit but um carolyn uh, one of my favorite events in the olympics is gymnastics uh i think that america right now has arguably the greatest gymnastics uh performer of all time athlete of all time uh i don't know um you know uh, if that's if fair to say uh, that Simone Bailas is in that category just yet. But one of the things that always gets me juiced up about gymnastics is the crowd reaction and the energy that the crowd uh, provides. I remember working uh, as a young, young, young man uh, in the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was a star studded kind of a kind of event that year with with some really great gymnasts. And uh, one of my roles was to work uh, the gymnastics, um, uh, you know, event. And I just remember the arena just being on fire when uh, these young athletes did their thing. And I always felt like after experiencing that, uh, that it helps them. I mean, especially doing what they do and how far they take it um, and, and what they're able to do. So I would imagine that playing off the crowd is a big part of gymnastics. Do you think that that's going to have any effect um, on on this year's uh, performances, number one? And where does Simone fit in the whole hierarchy hierarchy of gymnastics? Oh, yeah. So Well, I mean, for starters, Simone Biles is, the the greatest most powerful gymnast in history i mean i think she belongs in a conversation about where she ranks in the pantheon of the greatest athletes of all time full thank stop. you because thank you uh, she yeah no no she is um you know even at 24 years old i mean she just simply will not be denied and when you consider all the things that she has also been very public about uh away from the competition surviving abuse and you know her history with her family her you know, her own kind of journey with dealing with uh, critics and self-doubt. You know, she's just, she's a remarkable athlete all around. I don't anticipate that she will be affected at all by the lack of a crowd because she doesn't strike me as an athlete um, that is mentally weak in that arena. I mean, she, the way that she kind of uh, seemingly effortlessly executes these um these things that she does during competition that are named after her, quite frankly, Vinny, because nobody else can even attempt them or do them. Right. It's remarkable. I mean, we almost even take it for granted. She's got a number of um, a certain things named after her in gymnastics because she's the first and only one to be able to execute them and execute them time and time again. Um, so she, you know, when you look at what she does in the vault and her floor routine, she is, she is up there with the greatest athletes, of all time. Uh, and so she has a chance to add to that legacy, but there are other athletes, um, 
who will be affected by the lack of atmosphere and lack of crowd. There are probably some swimmers, you know, who really use that energy. I know um, because I'll be covering tennis primarily, you know, Nick Kyrgios of Australia has said publicly that he, you know, he needed the crowd. That's, that's a huge part of, of his mental tennis game is feeling like he has the crowd behind him. He's very much a, a performer in that way. So, I mean, um, I think it affects each athlete differently and crowd aside as well. I think there are a number of athletes who are really mentally affected by the bubbles and the rigid restrictions that are going to be in place uh, when deciding to partake in something like this. I mean, you know, there are some athletes that are over it. It just in terms of heading into a situation where they're not going to be able to see their friends and family. They may not be able to have their physio traveling with them. Um, they're going to be tested all the time. You know, that that's taken a toll on, on them over the last year plus. And so that's a lot of stuff to weigh for the athletes when deciding whether or not they want to come into this Olympic environment is, is what it means to them. And so the athletes who are there, I think that that's, that's probably the biggest realist indication of what an Olympic medal still means to some of these athletes, that they would – be willing to make themselves feel, you know, so uncomfortable uh, because they're pursuing this thing that means so much to them. Carolyn, uh, the Olympics has a unique way every four years of producing almost like an overnight star, somebody that grabs our attention and uh, grabs our imagination and just grabs our hearts for that matter. And then delivers the goods in a big way uh, and and just becomes a part of, you know, um, just our hearts. And it just seems like it always happens. Somebody emerges or even sometimes multiple people. Uh, Are there any of those type of potential star making moments, making performers uh, that you would suggest we try to keep an eye on? And sometimes it comes out of the blue. So there will be a surprise, I'm sure. But somebody that you might have your eye on that we should be aware of here uh, as we get prepared to watch the Olympics. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. You know, the best ones are the ones that do come out of the blue, to be honest. And I hope that we'll do a better, a decent job, a better job, whatever you have, um, of telling stories of international athletes as well. Because I think sometimes we have a habit of focusing on, you know, Team USA. And while there are great stories that that come out of the Americans who are competing – the, the fabric is so rich internationally as well, too, with some of those really compelling stories. So I love it when, when those types of stories come out of the blue internationally, too. But, um, you know, it, it's certainly no secret that Naomi Osaka is going to be coming into the Olympics um, with the spotlight squarely on her. I mean, this is a, an interesting decision that, that she's made to return uh, to Japan, where you know she is so loved and the scrutiny is so uh, so heavy on her that you know the pressure must be immense for her to return uh, to the the global sort of stage on the Olympic stage. Um, so you know I think she has the opportunity to continue to endear herself to the public. They've been really supportive of her. Coco Goff um, continues to develop and mature and is a wonderful story. I think about Simone Manuel in the pool who, you know, almost didn't have a chance to compete at the Olympics and is now uh, more focused than ever. And there's always some darlings that come out of the gymnastics. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that those stories continue to surprise us because those are, are the best ones. But there's a lot of athletes 
worth paying attention to who have, you know, really compelling stories. And the other thing I would say too, Vinny, is just um, if I could point people towards the Paralympics as well, which begin two weeks after the Olympics end, um, there are phenomenal stories of, of resilience on the Paralympic side. And if you haven't checked out, you know, what's going on in the Paralympics movement, that's worth, that's worth it too, because there are, there are true stories of uh, resilience and inspiration and mental fortitude and all kinds of awesome stuff that's happening with adaptive athletes in the Paralympic Games. Well, uh, Carolyn, uh, we we're running out a little bit of time. I want you back uh, at, at at your earliest convenience because I want to talk about Naomi and and her return and what this is going to mean for her professional career. Uh, if this is going to be kind of a one and done and and hold off on 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 the return on the professional circuit, or is this going to you know create a path uh, back for her? Because obviously we all want to see uh, Naomi out there, and I also want to talk uh, about the New England uh, Patriots and who's going to be the real quick. How, what's the quarterback situation going to turn out to be in New England? I know. I know. This is a story throughout the summer in New England. You know, I think as things stand currently, probably Cam Newton should be looked at as having the inside track of winning the job week one. But I I am not sure that it's as much of a lock as, as people think it is. I mean, I think Bill Belichick has been clear that he has faith in him and that he's maybe willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he's been spending a lot of time with Mac Jones as well. And that, I mean, that's the future of the position. And so I think, I think we're going to have to wait and see. I don't, I don't really have a feel for it right now, but I know that that's going to be the number one start, um, the number one story of summer. And I think as soon as you see Cam faltering a little bit, it the, the job is up for, for Matt Jones's gra- uh, grabs, for sure. Well, we are going to keep an eye on it, and uh, you have an open invitation uh, to come on and, and talk about it, and uh, especially during the Olympics uh, and, and as we wrap it up uh, as well. Carolyn, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. Wish we could have uh, spent a little bit more time, but I really appreciate uh, uh, you coming on today, and take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you down the road. You bet. Enjoy your vacation. Thanks, Vinny. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, that is Carolyn Mano. Uh, you can catch her on CNN, uh, NBC Sports, uh, NESN in New England. She does a tremendous job covering a whole bunch of different things. And and uh, I know uh, from experience, uh, covering the Olympics is a uh, it's just overwhelming. Uh, but I can't wait for her coverage and everyone else's. I love the Olympics. Uh, really looking forward to it getting started. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. On a Wednesday, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. By the way, just a uh, shout out... Um, over at uh, Michael T's restaurant here in Las Vegas. Uh, by the way, I had their ribs uh, over there. Yeah, they're legit. Um, anyway, on um, Fridays, Aloha Fridays, uh, we have been talking about this uh, quite a bit. But every Friday night, Aloha Fridays over at Michael T's. Um, and on Friday, August 20th, they're going to have a special guest, Baba B. Um, who is uh, a, a, a great DJ and a great performer, I should say. Uh, he's going to be performing at Aloha Fridays. Uh, it's over at 7315 West Warm Springs Road. Uh, there's going to be great food, 
great music. Uh, Embajador Tequila, uh, Demon Rum. And by the way, Demon Rum is uh, going to be a, uh, uh, a new member, new family member here uh, with the show, getting all that put together. Can't wait to, uh, to let you know all about it. Um, but uh, Embajador Tequila, Demon Rum. Uh, it is Friday, August 20th. Uh, uh, doors open at 8 p.m. Show starts at 9 p.m. Uh, tickets uh, pre-sale are $15. Uh, at the door, $20. Kids under six um, are free. And um, so it's a great night, great family night, really, uh, with the food um, and then the great music. Uh, so uh, go check it out. Friday, August 20th. Uh, Baba B, uh, Aloha Fridays at Michael T's. Um, again, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Getting back, and by the way, thank you to Carolyn Mano for um, spending some time with us. Uh, she's really, really good. Great follow on Twitter. Uh, knows her stuff. Uh, you can see her on CNN, NBC Sports. She's going to be covering tennis for the Olympics, um, which is a great gig. Uh, she's also dialed in on New England sports. Uh, with the New England Patriots, Boston Bruins, Boston Red Sox uh, over at NESN. So um, has her hands in a lot of different things, and it always does a great job, and uh, it was a pleasure having her on uh, today. But getting back to what we were talking about to kick off the show, and that's uh, Alex Leatherwood, and uh, you know just the reaction nationally from when the Raiders selected him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. He, uh Coming into the draft, for whatever reason, on many of the mock draft, uh, you know, uh, wherever, whichever one you went to, whether it was ESPN or uh, Pro Football Talk or Pro Football Focus or uh, whatever the case might be, uh, Alex Leatherwood uh, certainly didn't appear to be somebody that uh, was on a lot of people's draft board at number 17, which is where the Raiders took him. Um, and that's fine. But it's important to keep in mind and why Alex Leatherwood, who goes back with the Raiders for a little while now, they've had him on, he's been on their Raider for a little while now uh, because of Tom Cable, who the offensive line coach who noticed him as a freshman playing at Alabama, doing some scouting uh, and some work looking at Alabama. And then Tom Cable talking to Lincoln Kennedy, our great partner here uh, in the huddle to Say, hey, look, man, keep an eye on this Leatherwood kid over at Alabama. I want, I want you to tell me what you think. And and Lincoln fell in love with him early on uh, in the process, which which is why to him, and what's so um, ironic or interesting compared to what maybe have you know the, the the vision was nationally or the narrative was nationally for Lincoln, who understood how much the Raiders valued. Alex Leatherwood and how enamored Lincoln was with Alex Leatherwood. It was nervous time on draft night. He thought that there was a good chance that he was going to go not way after the Raiders picked at number 17, but actually before, but the way the draft played out, a bunch of quarterbacks uh, got, got drafted, um, you know, and, and it pushed other talented players further down in the, in the draft. So teams probably made some other uh, adjustments and some other decisions, but, uh, there was Alex Leatherwood at number 17. And and you can hear John Gruden, the clip that we played earlier, I'm glad he fell to us. John Gruden wasn't just saying that to, to troll everybody who thought that the Raiders reached for Alex Leatherwood. He was saying that because there was genuine concern in the Raiders building that somebody was going to take Alex Leatherwood before 
he got to the Raiders. And that's why there was a lot of happiness when he was, including Lincoln Kennedy. And so, uh, but be that all as it may, what's important now is how good of a player is Alex Leatherwood going to be? And, you know, in talking to Lincoln, who knows his stuff, he probably could, I'm sure he could be an offensive line coach if that's what he wanted to do. But I think he likes making money, doing other things um, in the uh, restaurant owning business and the media uh, business. Um, so uh, I don't think coaching uh, is, is, is in the cards, but he definitely looks at it like a coach and specifically that position. We explained why that is his position, right? Tackle is the position he held down for a long time with the Raiders, went to the Super Bowl as the Raiders' right tackle. There's a pride aspect to that position. Uh, and if it's being manned by somebody that he doesn't have good feelings about, he's going to let everybody know. Um, so he's really happy that Alex Leatherwood seems to be the heir apparent. He believes he's going to be a quality day one starter. Now, here's the thing. Um, you know, Alex Leatherwood played left tackle uh, at Alabama. Sometimes that happens. Frankly, Lincoln Kennedy doesn't think he's a left tackle, doesn't think that that's his profile, which is okay because when you look at the Raiders, they didn't need a left tackle. They have their left tackle in Colton Miller. And it wasn't even something where, well, you, you know, you, you, it wasn't something where they were just going to, you know, uh, maybe take one of the, you know, a guy that they feel can eventually play left tackle. Um, and, and, and in one of those type of situations, which happens from time to time, no, they feel good about where Colton Miller is um, at left tackle. They wanted to go get the guy they felt was going to be the best right tackle for now and many, many years to come. And that's Alex Leatherwood fits that profile. And it's important from the Raiders' perspective that he be better at right tackle than left tackle, that he almost be exclusively a right tackle um, and not somebody that you're just biding time and maybe flip him over to left tackle uh, at some point. They wanted somebody that they felt was going to be able to dominate for years to come at right tackle because right tackle in their scheme, in their zone run scheme, is hugely important. And his athleticism, his power, uh, his effectiveness in the run game, his ability to get to the second level, uh, to go pick off would-be tacklers uh, in that scheme is exactly what they want. They run to the ball to the right. That's what they like to do. And it's imperative that they have somebody at right tackle that can handle the responsibilities in that scheme. Trent Brown did it adequately while he was here, but he just didn't play enough. The Raiders want somebody that's hungry, somebody that's smart, somebody that has a diligence about him, a care about him. And trust me when I say you don't go through the Alabama program and start as many games as Alex Leatherwood did without being basically a professionally mind, a professional minded player, somebody who, who cares, who has diligence, who's smart, uh, who's going to be a leader. There's just too many good players on that roster. You're going to get replaced if you don't bring it on a day-to-day -day basis. And Alex Leatherwood did that at Alabama. That's going to be the case with the Raiders. And I think Raider Nation should be really excited. And I cannot wait to see how it all plays out for Alex Leatherwood uh, to see if, if he is 
who they think he is because they think they've got somebody that's really, really special. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahar.